Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be back with a friend of the podcast, Dick Foth, on another session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we're going to jump into the interview with Stephen Blandino on the Spirit-Led Leader. Dick, welcome back to the podcast. My joy. Always a joy to be here with you. It is a, a fun and something I, I definitely look forward to. Dick, got two questions for you. Um, first one is, can we learn from situations that did not go as planned without dragging people and their reputations through the mud? Uh, yeah, the short answer is you betcha, for mm-hmm. sure. Sure. Um, when, I, when I think about something not going right and people uh, dragging people through the mud, uh, that tells me something about um, the, pe- the person who's doing the dragging. Mm. Uh, lots of things don't go as planned. Mm. One of my favorite lines is life is what happens when you expected something else. You know, that's a, that's how it works. Colin Powell, former chairman of the joint chiefs and secretary of state said something like this. And it's a variation on a theme. Battle plans are great until you hit the beach <laughs> and, and everything is different, you know, because you think it's going to be this way, but it's going to be that way. So, I think in, in looking at the question, I said, well, if it's if it's an event that didn't go well for mm. whatever reason, is it I think the question is, is it a person's mistake or a weakness in the plan? Mm. You know, I think you have to you have to look at yourself if you're the leader in the or you're leading the team doing whatever it is. If it's a staffing thing, for example, and and we say, well, it, that didn't go as planned. How was your process? Yeah. Uh, what were the interactions? Hmm. Did did we do diligence, really due diligence? Yeah. Um, was it a generational thing in staffing? Because hmm. these days you have this wide range. And yeah. if you're working with somebody 40 or under, at least this is what all those books say, yeah. you know, those folks have grown up in a different world. Folks who were born in the 90s are the first generation Mm. that did not have to go to an authority figure for information. Mm. Well, that changes your whole mindset. So and we we had a question in a previous podcast about technologies. If we have a problem with our television or phone, we call our six year old grandchild. (laughs) So so or or is the is the um, the thing that didn't go as planned? Because we have a good person, mm. but in the wrong place, yeah. in the wrong slot, if you will. But coming back to dragging people through the mud, my question would be, where in the scriptures did you see people, Jesus dragged people through the mud? Mm. Uh, you know, he, yeah. he made mud and put it in guys' eyes. He, right. he stuff in the sand. Sure. Um, I, think the, I think we have to be careful because we're so angry about something mm. and it's, it's okay to be angry for a moment, you know, but don't obliterate people around you because chances are you're going to get it wrong, but there's always space for redemption. If the heart is willing. Mm. Good word. Good word. Dick, appreciate that. Um, second question I have for you is what questions should followers ask of leaders and leaders of followers to hold each other accountable. So what questions should followers ask of leaders and leaders of followers so that they can hold each other accountable? You know, I thought quite a bit about this. 
because I'm trying to think of a time when I wanted to hold a leader accountable. And I think there are, there are several contexts for it. But the first step in that is I need to hold me accountable. Mm. Let's, let's, start, let's start with me mm. and then see where we go from there. But um, I think if a follower in a given situation asks this question, things can work. And that is saying to the leader, how can I help you be most effective? Hmm. Could be that the leader will say, well, do your job, dude. Maybe. (laughs) But but I think it's a larger question than just, you know, doing your job. I would say that's exactly the same question that the leader asks the follower. Hmm. How can I help you be most effective? What do I need to do Hmm. to help you be successful? Yeah. I'm a huge American football fan, and and I look at coaches on the sideline when the quarterback, young quarterback, 20-something, throws an interception in a crucial moment or whatever it is, or when somebody uh, creates a penalty and they, and they lose 15 yards. And I'm thinking, how does that coach respond to that? Hmm. What do they do to help that person be effective? And of course, with with dozens of guys on a team, you generally, there might be a rule of thumb, but generally each remedy or response to that is unique to that person. Hmm. And so the question of how can I help you be the most effective? Because if you're the most effective, our whole mission will be the most effective. And uh, I think you get into this place where if you're not careful, if it's territorial or I want to show you I'm big, I'm big time or a big cheese, whatever uh, we get into this thing that, that uh, early childhood educators see in little kids, two, three years old in a thing called parallel play, mm. parallel play where we play side by side, but I won't share my toys. Mm. And, and you, you find this a lot. It's the human condition. So drilling myself on how can I help you mm. be most effective? Uh, that's true in marriage. That's true in mission. So good word. Good word. Dick, we're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with Stephen Blandino on the spirit led leader. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here again today with a friend of the podcast, Pastor Stephen Blandino. Stephen, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Aaron. So good to be with you today. It is. And before we hit record, I uh, shared a little bit how I was excited about this conversation today. It's an area that um, I want to grow in and um, praying about growing in. And then, you know, I look through your resources when they come out. Um, we I normally get the electronic version of Influence before I get the actual copy of it. And um, so it was it came and it's been something that's really spoken to me today. Stephen, before I pepper you with questions, will you share a little bit about yourself for maybe somebody who's we have new listeners to the podcast each and every week. Um, so maybe people that haven't listened to the past episodes, maybe just share a little bit about yourself and some of the current projects you're working on. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Well, I uh, pastor a church in Fort Worth, Texas. It's a church that we planted 11 years ago, and uh, it's called Seven City Church. We're located right near downtown Fort Worth and uh, married. My wife, Karen, is a um, 
uh, counselor and uh, professional uh, counselor, and then also serves on staff with us here at the church. And uh, we have one daughter, one son-in-law, two amazing grandsons, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I love to love to uh, invest in leaders and um, love writing and coaching and and helping others just uh, reach their their God-given potential and whatever God has called them to do and lead. So. And your podcast, uh, so yeah. your podcast. Yeah. I have a podcast called leader fluent and um, just kind of, you know, hit some specific topics with just very clear, specific teaching, try to make it really practical. So you can check it out at any, uh, most of the places where podcasts are hosted. So yeah, there's that. And then we got a few, a few uh, downloads and resources at stephenblandino.com that, uh, that you can check out as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Stephen, I'm excited about this conversation today on being a spirit-led visionary. And um, one of the first things you did as I read through it was you differentiate between being a spirit-led visionary and a visionary leader. Um, can you just kind of share some of the hallmarks when you think of a, a spirit-led visionary, what comes to mind and maybe some hallmarks of that spirit-led visionary? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first off, you know, so the greatest visionaries, they don't rest or bold ideas. And that's obviously part of what a, a visionary is, is someone who's got bold vision for the future. Um, but but I, I believe the ones that are, are uh, best equipped to make the biggest difference are those that are spirit-led because they're mm -hmm. not relying solely on their own wisdom, their own ideas. Hmm. They're tapping into the God of the universe, right? And there's there's unlimited capacity whenever that happens. So spirit-led leaders don't view the Holy Spirit as an addition to their leadership, hmm. but really as the driving force behind their leadership. So they operate with this posture uh, that's that's welcomes the, the Spirit's leadership in their life. And so when I think of a spirit-led visionary, Aaron, I, I think of someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just talking about, you know, in Acts chapter 2 when uh, we read about um, the early church and people being filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, but also whenever Paul talks about being uh, ever filled with the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit, like in, in uh, Ephesians 5.18, uh, in the Amplified Version, it says, ever be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. And I love mm -hmm. that because it paints this picture that the Holy Spirit is at work. He's mm -hmm. He's interacting with us. He's He's um, filling us and stimulating us and leading us, and, and it's an ongoing uh, part of a believer's life. So I think there's that constant welcoming of the Holy Spirit to fill me each yeah. day. Uh, there's being shaped by the Holy Spirit. You know, whenever you look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, there's these qualities that the, 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 the character qualities of the Holy Spirit himself and his desire is to form and shape those qualities inside of us. Yeah. Um, obviously, if we're leading the last thing we want to do is to be a, a leader that that is not reflecting the character of Christ, mm -hmm. right? So so part of being a, a spirit-led visionary is not just the visionary side of it, yeah. but also the uh the the spiritual side of it, the the formation of our hearts and everything. So I think a spirit-led visionary is filled with the spirit. They're shaped by the spirit. They're gifted by the spirit. They take their mm -hmm. God-given gifts and they they uh, use those to help take whatever God-given vision He's given us to to help it come to pass. I think He mm -hmm. gives us for the vision. Yeah, 
And I think it's important to, to, to keep that in mind that if God gives you the vision, he's also gifted you to see that vision fulfilled. And then I, I just believe there's a daily submission as well to the spirit. We're each day where we just recognize our need to submit to him and to his leadership in our lives, being sensitive to what he's saying and he's doing. And so we're all of those ingredients uh, meet, if you will, where we're filled, we're shaped, we're gifted, we're submitted hmm. to the spirit. I think all of that plays a critical role in being spirit led visionaries. Good word. Good word. And I think that that last thing you you mentioned there, submitting, you know, I think a lot of times one of the areas I'm trying to grow in is just that submission to the Holy Spirit and what he's saying to me. Um and I've, I've found in my life that um, if I can logically, if it logically makes sense, then um, I'm good with it. But it's the times mm-hmm. when the spirit speaks or encourages, or you feel that nudge, maybe to, to maybe to talk to somebody or to share the love of Christ with somebody or, or different things, or send an email or send a text, whatever it is. And um, sometimes it doesn't logically make sense. And and I've found yeah. myself um, regretting those times and um, and looking to the future, sometimes making steps and, and if it doesn't logically make sense. Um, but this, this, yeah. So I, 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 that's why I said this, this has been a, been in a teaching your writings at the right place at the right time for Aaron Sandemeyer. So um, I really, really appreciate <laughs> it. So Another question I have for you is, what are some ways we can grow in becoming faith-filled thinkers? Back to that idea of me, it takes faith, right? You know, if I, if I understand yeah. it all, there's not really a whole lot of faith in that. If I have it figured out and figured, I think I can control the outcome. But how do we become faith-filled thinkers? Yeah. You know, I think the, the foundation of it is you have to be convinced of of Ephesians 3.20, whenever it says that God is able to do immeasurably more than than mm. we can ask or, or imagine. If we're not mm. convinced of that, we will constantly operate from a posture of disbelief. Mm. And uh, and there's obviously plenty in our world that, uh, that, that would try to draw us in that direction. I'm sure you've heard A.W. Tozer believe that, that a, the low view of God is a cause of a hundred lesser evils. But a high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. And so Mm. we've got to have this high view of God that actually believes that he can do immeasurably more than what we think or ask. So and then practically, you know, a couple of things I think are helpful is is one, study the lives of faith filled thinkers. Mm. I just finished listening to. the the audiobook answers to prayers by george mueller hmm. and you know it's just this simple book of really a journal of all of his not all of but many of his answered prayers and as hmm. i listened to it i mean i just you know in, was so inspired hmm. and and you know you begin to realize wow i don't believe god for enough <laughs> uh my faith isn't near where it needs to be and and just studying people like that and seeing how they believed god when during difficult times, how God came through the miracles that God did, it inspires your faith. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, if I can do something like that, I think it's helpful. I think um, also realizing that that faith is really more of a mindset than a specific moment. Okay, it, It's really easy, I think, to view faith as a specific moment in time when we had faith for something. But the reality is faith is really more of a way you think. It's a mindset 
where you, you know, say, I don't want to just have faith for the moment. I want to operate in this mindset throughout my lifetime where I realize God is at work and I want to believe him for what he can do day to day. It's, it's, it's more of an abundance perspective than a scarcity perspective. Yeah, that's a good word. Good word. And challenging things that, uh, challenging. And I love reading, uh, biographies of people and, um, yeah, like you said, ones that challenge us and their faith and the, the, uh, that, that faith to step out and to trust mm-hmm. God for sure. For sure. Next question I have for you is you share that being growth focused, um, that, that, that requires change. And, uh, how can we rate, and you talk a little bit about, or write a bit about this, um, rate our tolerance to change and how can the Holy spirit help us in this area uh, of being growth focused and maybe helping us with our tolerance for change. Is that a fair question, Stephen? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, my response to this is really asking yourself some uh, questions to maybe assess where you're at in this area. So I, I developed a couple of questions in three categories. So the first category is regarding having a growth mindset and a couple of questions there are first off to, to rate yourself on a, a scale of one to 10 with these questions. First off, um, I'm not afraid of growth and change. Like on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate yourself? Your answer to that, I think, reveals how much of a growth mindset you have. Another question or another statement there is my first response to new ministry ideas is curiosity rather than suspicion or mistrust. Hmm. If you immediately gravitate towards suspicion or mistrust, then you know, it, it's probably a limiting mindset that's at work there. So, so if I, if I want to develop a growth mindset, I've got to, I've got to have a curiosity related to that. Both of those statements really reveal mindset. Okay. A couple of other statements um, reveal your growth systems. Mm-hmm. So you need a mindset, but you also need growth systems. So for example, uh, one statement, again, rate yourself scale of one to 10 is I have a clear and specific growth plan to help me improve as a leader and in ministry. Hmm. That's a system that you've put in place to help you continually foster that growth, that growth mindset, that growth, uh, growth lifestyle. Another statement would be, I have developed a regular practice of exposing my mind to new ministry ideas, new strategies, and new resources. Again, Hmm. scale of one to 10, how would you rate yourself in that? Hmm. And this is important because, um, Sometimes, and I think I may have shared this before, that that we can we can struggle with the disease of mindless mingling, hmm. where we mindlessly mingle with the same people <laughs> and therefore stop exposing ourselves to new ideas and new strategies and things of that nature. And sometimes you just have to get around other people. You got to get around other voices, other resources that are going to start stretching your thinking, challenging, hmm. challenging you in areas. So that's that's part of growth systems. Hmm. And then the last area is really about your willingness to even make changes. Hmm. So a couple of statements here, again, scale of one to 10, how would you rate yourself? Uh, The first one is I pay careful attention to the shelf life of our current ministry strategies and have a way to evaluate their level of effectiveness. Hmm. It is so easy just to keep doing what we always do because we know it. We Hmm. understand it. It's built into uh, the rhythm of our life. And yet if we don't pause intentionally to to reflect, we're, we're not going to make changes. Just yesterday, I was meeting with our staff and we we took our guest assim- assimilation system and we put it under the microscope and we walked through every step of it and looked at, are we still doing this? Is it working? 
Um, what do we need to change? And and mm-hmm. we there are a couple of things we just nixed and said we're not going to do that anymore. And then there are other things that we added and said, hey, what if we tried this? And mm-hmm. so it it just kept it from getting stale. Mm-hmm. And, and then one other again, scale of one to 10 statement, I have a track record of changing ministry strategies that have stopped working or are in decline. Wow. Like when was the last time you stopped something? Mm. <laughs> so and that's not easy, right? But no. but those two statements really reveal, I think, our willingness to to change. So I hope all that makes sense. Those are just some statements that you can, you can rate yourself on scale of one to 10 to see, do I have a growth mindset? Am I engaging in growth systems? And am I willing to make changes? And I think, you know, we were talking in this, I think in my life, the, when the Holy Spirit is the the, starting things for me is easy, but bringing things to an end that aren't no longer, they're they're not, they were good for a season, but that season's past. You know what I mean? And when the Holy Spirit's challenged me or you you felt that nudge, prayer time, your abiding time, but that hesitancy, you know, to trust him. Cause it, like you said, it, there's some comfort in it, right? Because it's, you know, the pattern, you know, the rhythm, this is the comfort way we do it. But when the Holy Spirit really is um, encouraging us to to move towards change and getting over that hump, um, it's a, it's a challenge in my life because I starting things is not a hard thing for me. It's it's having the courage to say, you know what, this is no longer functioning in a season, mm-hmm. the season that mm-hmm. I'm in, and I'm um, needing for change. So yeah, yeah, yeah. good, That's good, good, good word. Um, you talk about Paul's ministry model. Um, is being a a future orient oriented architect. Um, can you share just a little about what you mean by that? But Paul's ministry model and and how it encourages us to be um, spirit led leaders, visionaries. Yeah, whenever yeah, whenever I use that that term, future oriented architects, it's kind of the idea that you know celebrating. Um, you celebrate what God did, but then mm. you look ahead to what God wants to do next. Mm. Um, so so rather than just repeating the past, you become an architect of the future. You begin to anticipate and look look ahead to what can we do next. And when you look at Paul's life in in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, we see kind of four things play out uh, that reveal this in his life. Uh, the first one was that he was, he was compelled by the Spirit. Hmm. Um, verse 22 says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. So his choice to go to Jerusalem wasn't just a, hey, I got an idea. Uh, there was this divine nudge, this divine mm. compelling. Uh, and so I think that's part of the architecting of the future is not just what is my idea, but do I sense the Spirit of God driving me in this this direction? Mm. Um, and, and I want to be careful here, Aaron, because... Sometimes we can swing to an extreme that says, well, I'm just going to wait for the Holy Spirit to to speak very clearly before I do anything. And, and I just want to make sure I point out that a lot of times the things that God uses to speak to us are not just his direct voice to us. Hmm. In other words, he'll use people, he'll use circumstances, he'll use different things to speak to us. So we've got to be we got to be sensitive to all of that, hmm. not just say until I've got a you know, until God has spoken clearly to me in my prayer time Tuesday morning at, you know, at six o'clock, then I, no, I I think God is big enough to speak to us in multiple ways. And oftentimes he tends to, I think with some people use one thing more than another to speak to them, to get their attention. So anyway, a little side note there, but, but Paul was compelled by the spirit. 
Yeah. And, um, and and then, you know, another thing is Paul stepped into the unknown. Hmm. Uh, whenever he, you read that verse, he says he was compelled by the spirit to go to Jerusalem. But then he said, not knowing what will happen to me there. Hmm. And I think that's what stops a lot of leaders is because we don't know, we don't go, right? Because we don't know, <laughs> we never take a step. We never, we don't get started yeah. because of, of the unknown. And yeah. I mean, that's what leaders do leaders step into what is often unclear for others but it's clear in their mind's eye that it's clear they're, they're clear that uh, this may be uncertain but it doesn't mean i i can't step into it they have clarity in the midst of that uncertainty hmm. um and then you know another thing is paul he didn't take the easy path yeah uh, he, he said, I, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Wow. <laughs> I think most of us would say, well, I'm not going then. <laughs> if that's what's facing me, sure. no, thank you. And he was willing to to take a path that was not easy. Yeah. And when he did, he didn't give up. He yeah. didn't give up. He said, I, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Hmm. Uh, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And so, you know, whenever you look at him architecting the future, he was compelled by the spirit. He was willing to step into the unknown. Hmm. And even whenever it wasn't an easy path, he was willing to go down that path and, and not give up in the process. Yeah. Man, challenging, challenging. Whoop, Steve, this is not one of the questions I said I was going to ask you, but what are some of the reasons you talked about leaders not necessarily want to stepping out to it's all really clear? Do you think that's because of the weight of responsibility? Do you think that's the desire? Is it wanting to have control of the outcome, which is something I struggle with? Are there some common barriers you see leaders run into and not wanting the complete understanding before they step out? Yeah. Of that is that a fair question? Yeah, yeah, and I, and. You know, I, I think it probably varies from person to person in part sure. by by how they're made up. Some people are very analytical mm -hmm. and they want to have all their T's crossed and I's dotted, you know, before they, they take a step. And uh, and I think there's wisdom in that. At the same time, the truth is we're never going to have every every detail yeah. to step into what God's called us to, uh, because if we did, there'd be no faith. And God's desire, I think, is to grow in us a dependence on him. You can't grow in dependence on God if you have to have all the answers before you move. Yeah, it's a good word. Otherwise, good, good. it's not dependence, right? And so fear, you know, that and then fear, I think, is just a big thing. And, you know, on top of that, let's just be honest, the, the more the more you... Uh, the more you have to lose, the less likely you are to take a step. Those biases, there's, you know, those biases that, you know, you'd rather, you'd rather, you, we hold on to the things we don't want to lose rather than, than what we could win. And that goes for mm -hmm. economics yeah. and business and, and evidently ministry too. So yeah, that's right. Uh, you talk, you share about um, Nehemiah. And um, and spirit-led leaders, how can we imitate and uh, emulate Nehemiah when we cast a vision? I love the story of Nehemiah. And I think whenever it comes to vision, there are so many practical, practical lessons where we can draw here. 
our tendency whenever we cast vision is we immediately tell people about this amazing solution that we want people to know and, and pursue and be a part of and all of that. And, and we paint this picture of the future. And yet, um, oftentimes when that we do that, people are kind of scratching their head saying, I didn't even know we had a problem. <laughs> and you're giving me a solution to something that I'm not convinced we need to do. Yeah. So I don't believe vision casting starts with the solution. I think it starts with the problem. Hmm. You first have to define the problem that needs hmm. to be solved before you hmm. give a solution that people don't even know they need. Hmm. So Nehemiah defined the problem. He said, you know, uh, whenever he showed up in Jerusalem, he, he said, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. What's he doing? He's defining the problem. He's helping, helping them open their eyes and say, guys, look around. The city needs help. And so he's, he's, he's touching on that problem before he ever gives them solu the solution. So he defines a problem. Then he shares the solution. Hmm. And his solution is, he says, come, let's, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And uh, rebuilding the wall is obviously going to be the solution to the problem that the city's in ruins, that the gates have been burned. And, and, but then he doesn't leave it there. He actually explains the benefit of pursuing the solution. Hmm. So, so he gives the problem, he defines a solution, and then he appeals to the people's hearts because he said, uh, and we will no longer be in disgrace. Hmm. And let's just be honest, who, who wants to live their lives in disgrace? Nobody does. So what is what is uh, Nehemiah doing? He's he's saying not only is this a solution, but here's how it's going to benefit you. You're no longer going to be living in disgrace. Yeah. Your dignity is going to be restored. And and then he takes it a step further to help them see this isn't just my idea. The fingerprints of God are on this idea. So he points mm -hmm. to God's fingerprints whenever he he talks about how God had graciously provided through the king the resources that would be needed to actually build, uh, rebuild the wall. So he points to to God's activity in this, mm -hmm. and then he of course invites people to participate. He says, come on, let, let, let us start rebuilding. And it says, so they began the good work. So when you look at that, there's really five things there. He defined the problem. He shared the solution. He explained the benefit. He pointed to God's activity in the solution, and then he invited people to participate. That to me is just a powerful picture of what vision casting uh, can look like. Yeah. I love that. You know, it's challenging to me starting with the solution and um, not the like you said, people sometimes they're, you're starting with a solution. They didn't even know they had the problem or that yeah. the problem even existed. And, um, uh, starting there just is a, a very, very valuable, very valuable step for each and every one of us. Stephen, you mentioned that um, there's four P's when it comes to uh, strategic, practical strategic planning. Um, what are those four P's and, and and how do they help us when we when we we, we want to launch out but, and we need that strategic planning part of it? Yeah. So each P has a has a question that goes with it. Okay. okay. So the first P. The first P is plan, mm -hmm. and you're asking yourself, how will we get from here to there, right? Okay. Here is where you are right now. There is where you ultimately want to go. It's the vision for the future. And um, here's why this is important. I love something that that Bob Reiner once said. He's an author. He said this, plan your energy. Otherwise, your energy and activities, right? They're, they're just being uh, uh, dictated by something 
something else. Without a plan, your energies and activities are hijacked by whatever crisis, whatever urgent thing in the moment is screaming the loudest. And so it starts by creating a plan. And that usually means you probably need some long range objectives and some short range objectives. You know, you might say, here's what we, we want to be in a couple of years. And, and here's what we're going to do in the next three months. So what's that plan look like? The second thing, the second P would be people. And the question you're asking here is who will help us and what roles will they play? So the question I like to ask is who will do what by when, right? Who is the person? What is what they're responsible to do? And when is the deadline to get it done? And basically, if you take your if you take your plan that you've developed in the plan is the what now you just got to attach a who to it along with the deadline. The third P is provision. And the question with provision is what resources are needed and how will we acquire them? Notice, and I think this is important, Aaron, I didn't say, uh, do we have the money to do this? That's the wrong question. Because the answer is almost always no, right? <laughs> instead, instead we need to we need to be asking ourselves, okay, um, what resources are needed to make this happen, and and how do we acquire those resources? Vision always requires money. It always requires time. It always requires energy. And so, the bigger the vision, the longer the runway. And you've got to you got to determine what are the resources needed. How are we going to make that happen? The last P is progress. And the question here is, how will we track progress? Ron Blue once said this. He said, you can't manage what you can't measure. And so you've got to have a systematic way to track progress toward the vision. And, um, and so I, I think it's always great to, to create a dashboard where you can measure progress, um, maybe on a monthly basis, whatever, uh, toward what you're trying to do. So those are the four Ps people, provision, and progress, and the questions that go with them. You, Stephen, you share that uh, uh, that we have adventurous risk takers, and then there's cautious risk takers. And, and so there's weaknesses to be adventurous, and then there's weaknesses to be cautious. How do we mitigate the, the, how do we mitigate between the two of those? Yeah. Well, let me first say, I don't think one is right and the other is wrong. Okay. I think we need adventurous risk takers and I think we need cautious risk takers because if we were all one or all the other, our world would be in serious disarray, like more than it is already. Uh, if we were all adventurous risk takers, Lord knows what uh, problems we'd be getting ourselves into. And if we were all cautious risk takers, nothing would get, you know, would ever change. So, so having both, I think is creates probably a more healthy dynamic. So, but with that, uh, each risk taker does have uh, weaknesses they have to mitigate. So for the adventurous risk taker, I think the weaknesses uh, they need to mitigate first is, is that they've got to address the issue of focus mm -hmm. because the more adventurous you are, the more easily you'll get bored once your vision launches. Okay. And, and so I think, I think when it comes to that, you have to put people in your inner circle that, that are going to help you stay focused. Okay. Um, your your strength is new vision, and that's and that strength is needed. Uh, but you also have to be honest about when am I getting distracted and losing focus and and stuff. So that's one thing. Another thing for the adventurous risk taker is uh, explanation. Hmm. So what I mean by that is you may need a bit more patience with team members 
who are not as quick to jump on your vision. And so for those people, you you can't just get mad at them and say, well, they're they're opposed to my vision. I don't think they're opposed to your vision. They just need you to give them a little more detail, sure. a little more explanation to help them understand it. And when they have the explanation, then they can buy into it. Yeah. Um, and then one other thing is is follow through. Um, you've got to monitor results carefully and uh, assemble a team that's going to carry things to completion so that you don't prematurely take on new opportunities. So, okay. so those are the things for the person who's the adventurous risk taker. They've got to have focus. They've got to give explanation. They got to they got to follow through. And a, a big part of all of that is surrounding yourself with the right people. Hmm. For the cautious risk taker, um, they've got weaknesses as well. And so to deal with those, first off, they, they've got a dream. Hmm. In other words, like don't be afraid to dream big. If, if everything has to fit neatly in your detailed calculations, if you're not careful, you just might calculate God out of yeah. the equation. Sure. And his infinite ability. So hmm. so so don't be afraid to dream. If you're more cautious, uh just Give yourself that permission. A second thing is action. Once you have 70% of the information, I don't know, pick a percentage, you probably have what you need to make the decision. So so okay. be careful that you don't get trapped in, again, paralysis hmm. by analysis, where you just, you can't ever move on that dream. Hmm. And the, the last thing I would say for the cautious risk taker is empowerment. You you cannot control everything when you take a risk. And that's yeah. one of the challenges for, for cautious risk takers is we want to control everything. And that you've got to be willing to release power to others, let them help carry the load. So for the cautious risk taker, you got to dream, you got to take action, you got to empower other people. Wow. And so what I, I think what I heard you say is it's, Sometimes I think we, the, what would you say? Well, the adventurous risk taker, may, we might say, at least in my Pentecostal world, is, hey, those are the people that are led by the Spirit. Um, but what I heard you say is maybe you could also be a cautious risk taker and a adventurous risk, risk taker and both be led by the Spirit. You just need to be Absolutely. aware. You need to be aware of some of the weaknesses there and the strengths and weaknesses. So is that is that a fair yeah, a yeah, I think that's a, yeah, very fair. And um, and and again, realizing God wires all of us differently. Like whenever He created us, He He placed in us the raw ingredients of our mm -hmm. abilities. Whenever we became uh, followers of Jesus, um, He He gave us spiritual gifts. Yeah, and you know those spiritual gifts are different. So think think about even the spiritual gifts. Uh, one of the spiritual gifts is administration. Hmm. Well, a person who has administrative gifts is much more detail oriented. Yeah, and and so uh, they're going to see all of the things that have to happen in order for this vision to come for, to to be fulfilled. Well, that's a spirit uh, deposited gift. Yeah. So, in other words, you know, I think God, in His wisdom, knew uh, all of these visionaries are going to need somebody that. Can 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 put this plan into action. Sure, they they, they can follow it. So cool. uh, again, it's seeing the importance of both. Yeah. Not one's right, the other's wrong. Good word, good word. Stephen, I got one last question for you. Um, how can the Holy Spirit guide us in being a creative, innovative problem sol solver? I think you mentioned two things, but how can the Holy Spirit guide us in being being a creative, innovative problem solver? 
Yeah. I think it starts by enlarging your inputs. So this is what I mentioned a moment ago about, you know, mindless mingling. Uh, we get around people and we just always think the same way. And we've got to be willing to get beyond that and um, invite, you know, outside perspective. And that means enlarging our learning inputs is what I'm referring to here. Okay. So attending new conferences, you know, maybe visiting different churches, reading different authors, accessing different coaches. Um, every person has a reservoir of what they of what they know that they're willing to invest in other people and mm. sometimes you've got to tap someone else's reservoir you got to start drinking from additional wells to help you mm. think uh creatively and 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 think about this we can we can look at that and say well that's not that's not holy spirit inspired okay. that's just relying on man i don't think that's the case and here's the reason why when we're all part of the body of christ and scripture makes it pretty clear that the body is made up of different parts that have different strengths. Hmm. So if that was God's idea, which it was, then he has already put in place people with different strengths, different giftings, different value that they bring to the body that not every part has, right? There's no part that has the gifts and strengths of every other part. So that that means there has to be a reliance on the other parts. So when you enlarge your inputs, you're saying, I'm willing to learn from other parts of the body. I'm willing to, to glean from other parts of the body. And I think the Holy Spirit uses that to speak to us. I think the Holy Spirit uses that to give us, uh, to, to stretch our thinking and help us be more innovative in, in how we solve problems and what we're doing. So, so enlarge your inputs. And then the second thing would be engage your team. Hmm. So you've got team members and, you know, John, John Maxwell always says some of my best thinking is done by others, right? It's that idea that, <laughs> that I, that, that I have to, I have to let other people speak into the process. And that's where sometimes you're going to get some of your greatest uh, solutions. Yeah. I love something. I'll just wrap up with this. I, I love something that RT Kendall once said, he said, the greatest opposition to what God is doing today comes from those who were on the cutting edge of what God was doing yesterday. Wow. Hmm. So the opposition uh, that 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 often comes is um, is is from people that maybe at one point they were on the leading edge, but now they they feel threatened by whatever is happening that's that's new. And uh, I think spirit led visionaries they just have commitment to remain focused on what God is doing now and what he wants to do in the future to honor what he's done in the past. Absolutely. But not get stuck in it. I heard somebody say it like this one time, we have to honor the past, but we have to be loyal to the future. Wow. Good word. So honor the past, you know, what others have done, um, but be loyal to what God wants to do now, what he wants to do next and realize that he's still at work yeah. and um, how he works will, will change throughout the generations. Can I ask a follow-up question? I told you I wasn't going to ask you any more questions. Yeah, but, yeah. So you talk about broadening, you know, not mingling with the same people. Now, people in the podcast, they can't see your bookshelf behind you, but you have lots of books behind you. So one of the ways, you know, I want to grow and broaden, you know, the, those circles is, you know, reading different authors and engaging different, different thoughts. Do you how do you, I mean, you have a lot of books behind you. So how, how do you, do you have a plan for that? Or do you just, 
how do you broaden your horizons maybe when you're reading and, and listening? Is Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if I've got a real well-defined plan on this. I mean, I think we've all got our favorite authors. Sure. Um, so that's, that's going to be part of it. Um, as well as, um, you know, try, trying to 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 step into other areas where maybe I I read something by someone I've never read before hmm. uh, or on a topic I've never read. Um, whenever you have to preach most weeks, uh, it, that also feeds into it, right? I, I don't know, and I mean this <laughs> sure, sincerely. Sure, it does. Uh, I mean I mean this sincerely, uh, and I don't mean this uh, you know against anyone who's not a reader, but I honestly don't know how people preach every week and they're not readers. Like, I, I just don't like, I mean, kudos for them. I mean, they must be pretty amazing. I'm not that good. <laughs> I've got to, I have to constantly be learning and growing. And that doesn't, that it doesn't mean I'm, I'm stealing sermons from all these things. I, I'm right. almost always writing something that I feel like God is, uh, is showing me, but, right. but constantly learning and growing. Uh, and the yeah. fact that I have to, to, to preach regularly, um, it drives me to that um, as well that I every year I always try to read something on prayer and I always try to read something on the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, and, and it may be just, you know, it may be one or two books on that topic, yeah. but I always try to put that. Uh, and usually it's pretty, uh, it's at the start of the year that I'll do yeah. that. Um, th this year, I, I think I actually read maybe four books on prayer, hmm. uh, maybe five now. And so I just uh, wanted to, to, to just go a little deeper in that yeah. area. Um, if I see something new on the Holy Spirit, I may read that. So I, I try to weave that into the mix as well. I love reading a lot on leadership and on business. And so I'm, I'm usually reading uh, a fair bit in those areas as well. Um, but yeah, my, my, you know, my, my goal is, is, um, I always tell people, if you'll read one chapter a night before you go to the, go to bed, you'll read at least two books a month. Yeah, for sure. And so, so, you know, typically I'll try to read between somewhere around 40, 45 books a year is kind of what I'll, I'll typically pace myself at. And and so it's a, it's a book about every 10 days or so. And, yeah. and if you'll do that, um, man, you'd be amazed at how much your thinking is stretched and you're, you're, you're getting fresh perspective, fresh ideas, fresh insight on things. And then, and this to me, I think is just as critical, Aaron, you've got to have a way to capture that. Hmm. Hmm. So for me, when I'm reading a book, I will, uh, there's two things I do. One is anytime I come across content or a story an illustration, something that I feel like this is really good, I will draw the bracket around that story in the, in the margin and I'll hmm. write in the margin what that story is hmm. and uh so if it's a story about forgiveness i'll write the word forgiveness it's a, if it's a story about um peace i'll write the word peace if it's a story about leadership i'll write leadership and then i underline every quote that i come across that i think this is this is a great quote whether it's yeah. a quote by the author or a quote of someone else that they're quoting uh, i'll underline that and again in the margin i'll write uh whatever that quote is about you know, it's a quote about leadership. It's a quote about uh, grace, whatever it may be. When I'm done reading the book, I give it to my assistant. Um, she then takes it and and copies every, and this is probably where I'm old school, okay? But the problem is I developed the system, you know, 25 years ago. And so <laughs> it is what it is. And I, I don't want to change it because it would take forever to make it all, you know, digital. Right. Uh, but she'll take it and copy every 
everything I put a bracket around and put it in a file. Hmm. And then she'll take every quote and she'll type it um, into um, a file online. Hmm. And so what that does is anytime I'm speaking or writing on a specific topic, I can go to that file in my file cabinet or I can pull up those quotes um, uh, in a file online and um, and it's there and I don't have to hunt for it. I don't have to remember what book it was in and uh, because I, I don't remember and 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 I'm able to find stuff that helps me keep what I'm saying, hopefully fresh. And yeah. um, so that I think it's important to read and to, to 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 vary your reading. But I also think if you don't have a system to capture what you're reading, mm-hmm. you're shortchanging the impact that your reading can have. Yeah. That's Probably good. more information than you want, no, <laughs> want to hear. It's, it, no, it's, it's excellent. It's excellent. That's why I asked the question. That's why I asked the question. Stephen, will you pray for us? You pray that God will inspire each of us to be more and more spirit-led visionary um, leaders and that, that God will help us, specifically help us grow in this area. Will you yeah, pray for us? Absolutely. Definitely. Lord, we thank you so much that you are the God who births vision and dreams for the future in our hearts, God. Lord, you see a better future and you invite us into it. And so I just ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, that for each person listening right now, that your spirit would begin birthing fresh dreams for the future. That person who's discouraged, that feels like they're just hitting their head against the wall. I ask God that you would uh, speak into them a dream for the future, that you would revive maybe maybe dreams that have been dashed, that God, you would just, by the power of your spirit, you would speak that into us and uh, that we would be not just visionaries, but visionaries who are truly spirit-led and uh, that you would not only birth that, but you would lead us in the process of seeing that vision fulfilled. God, may it all be to your glory. And we thank you for that in Jesus.